Welcome to Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Vogt. I am the Dean of Bethel Seminary, and it's my privilege to host this podcast. And I'm delighted today to introduce our guest. Uh, Chris Gansky is a the founding pastor of City Reformed Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which he started in 2012. He holds a Ph.D. in theology from Marquette University and is active in the Center for Pastor Theologians. A native of Florida, Chris and his wife Kate have lived in a variety of places before settling in Wisconsin. They have two children, and for those of you who are regular listeners of the podcast, Chris and I had a conversation about artificial intelligence two episodes ago, I think it was, and we had a great conversation and we decided that uh, it was worth continuing the conversation. And so I'm delighted to welcome Chris back to the podcast. So in the last episode, we, we kind of left, and I, I, always try to, I always try to be mindful of the time because I know people are busy and listening to podcasts and that sort of thing. We were kind of in the middle of, of a conversation about the, the nature of human agency and what that means for the ministry of the church and how AI really can't, uh, can't replicate that. I'd like to come back to, to that. And and maybe frame the question this way. I I had used in the last episode the example of a somebody who who gets AI to to put together a sermon that's orthodox in every way. You know nothing nothing false or heretical uh, about it. And and what was the problem with that? And we talked about we talked about the the issue of what does it mean to be human and and in preaching and the nature of preaching, which I I think is is really really important. But is there a and you began to talk about this, but I want to dig a little bit deeper on this. Is there an issue with the the whole idea that that a, a pastor or a preacher's words are not their own? You know, I, I think in the last episode you mentioned the idea of plagiarism and something, and and you know, somebody taking a sermon that somebody else has written and you know putting aside personal anecdotes which obviously would be very problematic you know to say right. when i was when i was in 6th grade this happened and that never happened but but if you avoid those kinds of things you know what is the what is the role of that personal agency in uh in preaching even apart from ai but but in in that kind of of thing where where someone takes a sermon that somebody else has written and then i guess yeah. my follow up question would be does it make a difference if the if the words that one is is proclaiming are not your own? If those are other another human being's words, or if they're the words of AI? In that, does that make any difference? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot here. Wow. Yeah. Um, great question. And I want to start um, maybe just a little more personally, and then I want to kind of reflecting on my own ministry over the past ten years as a pastor, full time pastor, preaching nearly every week. And, and what I've learned about preaching and and how I I think that how I can answer this question. So, you know, one of the things about learning to preach and especially when you're, you're in one place, which I've been in, I've been serving one congregation for uh, about 12 years now, mm. is that um, there is a there is a kind of symbiotic relationship that develops with you as a pastor. Um, in terms of knowing the people in your congregation and the mm -hmm. issues that they struggle with at a very particular level, and you're, you're speaking God's word to them week in and week out. And, and so I, I don't do a lot of pulpit supply, but when I do, you know, I, I always, I, I 
generally don't enjoy it <laughs> just mm-hmm. because uh, it's so hard to know the context. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've heard great pr- pulpit supply sermons, right? There's some sermons that really just preach in most contexts, right? Mm-hmm. And and again, that's part of the the, the beauty of the gospel, you know. Uh, but there there's something about when we when we're talking about ministry at the most fundamental local level, at the the household life of the church level. Th- there's a way in which if you as a pastor are not engaged as a shepherd. As you're seeking to lead and teach and preach your congregation, there's going to be a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And, and so like when I'm preaching, when I'm preparing a sermon and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, reflecting, I'm always thinking, you know, about how will this person hear this? Mm-hmm. Uh, how will this minister? I'm like, I, I just have dozens of faces, almost every mm-hmm. sermon. And I, you know, I'm never like using, you know, calling people out or things like that. But I know I, if I say this, this is going to affect this person this way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I want to make sure my tone is right. And or I know this person is struggling with this. And and I I'm and I, I'm always like in dialogue with the spirit, too. It's like and I always mm-hmm. remember like and it's amazing. And you hear this as a pastor. It's like, you know, I don't know. I feel like you're reading my mail or, you know, you, mm-hmm. you hear this as a pastor. Right. Because there's something that's going on. There's there's, again, a, a divine connection where the spirit of God is using my agency that's paying attention, that's being connected and my preparation. And, and again, like if you have a machine technology that sort of interpolates <laughs> within mm-hmm. that, I, I can't help but think that there will be a diminishment in mm-hmm. terms of your experience and mm-hmm. uh, your congregation's experience of being truly nourished and fed. But, but then if I, if I could add just one more response to that, and this gets yeah, to course. the question of theological education and development as a minister. If you, I mean, yeah, right? Like sometimes if you don't know how to write, if you don't know how to exegete, you don't know how to think, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know how to reason with scripture. You don't know how to understand. And and you're seeding like the potential that I see. Where, like if, 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 you know, you feel tempted to have, have a AI write a paper for you, it's like, well, okay, but what, what's lost and you not mm-hmm. having to learn to wrestle with a text and make an argument and do these things, right? It's a diminishment of mm-hmm. your capacity to think and engage the world at a deep level. And, and so like, I, again, this is, you know, this is not what the Lord calls us to as pastors mm-hmm. and ministers. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, I really resonate with that because I think about my own experience as a, as a pastor and just knowing even and I, I did the same sort of thing, you know, thinking about how certain people will hear it and, and you don't want to tailor things to them, but you, you're sensitive to things and in their, in their lives, but also just what the church is going through at the moment and, and um, how to lead, how to lead a congregation through that. I, you know, I think that's, that's such an important aspect of it, that it, you know, a, a solely Orthodox, biblically sound sermon yeah. is, is great but that doesn't address that. It doesn't address the the yeah. particular issues and the sensitivities that can go down to even turns of phrase in um, yeah. in the church and how how that how that works. So I, I can really resonate with that. Um, yeah. So the the next thing I want to talk about is you know we talked about the you know the the really good sermon that uh, that comes up. What yeah. about right. what about the what about the sermon that is developed by you know somebody says you know here's the text and I want, I want an exegetical sermon on this. And, and the AI gets it wrong. 
Uh, first of all, yeah. from your perspective and what you know, how big a threat is that? How big a concern is that when it comes to uh, when it comes to AI? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a serious concern. I, I think you have to, um, I, at this level, uh, and I could, you know, yeah, I mean, the AI is um, a prone to illusion, right? It, it's going to fill in the gaps of what it doesn't know at times. Now, I mean, they're improving, you know, data sets and uh, algorithms and things like that. But I mean, you have to, I would approach chat GPT or any AI platform as like a source, that mm -hmm. you have to be able to check. It can't be like the end, you know, source in which you're like, well, this is what the AI said, so it must be true. No, I mean, I think mm -hmm. you can be able to check it against, you know, different uh, resources and things like that. And and if you use it that way, it can be actually a helpful use source, a resource to get at, um, you know, summarize things really quickly. But but yeah, you have to be to be to be sort of wise about how you would use it as a resource mm -hmm. um it can't be like the final authority on on anything i kind of almost at this level you know it's kind of how i relate to wikipedia like if i'm looking for something and it's not you know um it's not it's usually like some like oh some some date or historical event and i search it and wikipedia page comes up and i look at it and i'm like you know, generally accurate, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing any scholarly research on it. It's more like a trivia thing, you know, like mm -hmm. yeah. where, where it's like, I, if, if I'm really serious, I'm like, oh, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to confirm it in other sources. And so I, I think people need to be really cautious uh, about, about the use of AI. I think it can be helpful, but it needs to be a site you can source and it needs to be something that that you can sort of check against other sources that are not the ai itself mm -hmm. well and, and one of the things we found here at the seminary and this is true in other contexts obviously as well but it, it was shocking in a way to discover that that chat gpt will make up sources so it yeah. it actually refers to real journals so a journal that actually exists but to an article that doesn't actually exist and it will cite that or it will refer to a an author or a scholar that actually exists and has written in a particular area but never published the particular article that ChatGPT is is citing and we've actually had instances where you know students have have used it and thought those were real things and we discovered it because faculty have been checking and found no these these things don't exist or page numbers you know the, it's citing page 284 of a book that only goes to page 220 and and so it's making stuff up and and i think people may not be aware that it's doing that because it looks so real it, it looks yeah it looks and so it, yeah and it comes to us as kind of authoritative right <laughs> right right yeah, yeah you know wikipedia is being yeah. yeah, yeah. We know Wikipedia is being being edited by human beings with their own agendas and, and things like that. But you think, well, ChatGPT is not not in any way um, able to. I mean, it has no agenda. And yet we find these sorts of things. I actually saw an article once about uh, somebody going to ChatGPT and saying, I want biographies of the uh, oldest serving governor of, I think it was South Dakota, and the youngest serving governor of South Dakota. And the, the oldest serving one was fine. There was nothing on it. The, the youngest serving governor was completely made up. It wasn't even, it wasn't that it was, you know, just got it wrong, but it was, it made up a whole person. And yeah. and it was not, not a, was never the governor of South Dakota. 
It was not the youngest serving governor. All And all the biographical data, there was a picture, all these sorts of things. And it was completely made up. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, those are really important things for people to realize the the severe limits. And, and you know, chat GPT can't be, I mean, you have to use it in a very qualified way um, yeah. as a knowledge source. I mean, it can't displace, you know, the need to know how to, uh, you know, research and find things in the traditional manner. Um, so, yeah, no, I think, you know, understanding the limits is really important. Well, and I think I I would love to hear what you think about this, too, is that when in that scenario that I described, when someone then develops a sermon and there's there's errors in it, if they're mm-hmm. not aware of it, nobody's presumably nobody's going to then preach a sermon that they know has errors in it, but uh, they're going to preach yeah. a sermon and they're they're disseminating error, false information yeah. about things. It's not what the text actually means, uh, despite what ChatGPT says it is or, or something like that. And and you're then there's a big problem because you're disseminating information that's false and you don't know it. And and you're as an authority, I mean, I think people in the church look to their pastor in in the proclamation of a sermon as an authority at some level. I mean, you know, yep. they may or may not, it depends on how much they trust them or, or all these sorts of things, but to some degree, an authority on these things. And and so now all of a sudden they're believing something that has been said from the pulpit and it's not true. And and that's hugely problematic in my in my view. I, I think one of the ways you can get at the deeper theological issue here is well, what is the nature of theological truth? Mm-hmm. And what is what is knowledge? You know, we, we talk about knowledge. Um, I, you know, the way that we have come to learn, think about it in a mechanical age or an information technology age is to think about knowledge as information. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this even gets back to how we think about agency and humanity is there's a tendency for us to think about human identity as an informational pattern, mm. right? So, so there's a way that, and this, this again, gets to the Gnosticism of our understanding of personhood in our culture, which is the idea of, you know, in transhumanism, uh, people like Elon Musk and others, you know, they dream of a day in which we could upload human consciousness to the cloud or all of our mm. memories, such that mm-hmm. when our bodies break down, we can continue living and we can get new bodies. But mm. the assumption there is that somehow our particular bodies aren't essential to our identity as persons mm-hmm. and they could mm-hmm. be transferred. And there's all kinds of movies and television shows that kind of explore these themes in pretty fascinating ways. But I, I think that that our tendency is to think about knowledge and truth as information mm-hmm. and then human identity as an informational pattern rather than thinking about it in terms of embodied enactment. And that even think about this Sunday, I'm starting a, a sermon series on the creed. And the first sermon I'm preaching on 1 Corinthians 15, and where Paul says, you know, as according to the scriptures, right, had it been written, mm-hmm. you know, that Jesus rose from the dead and he was witnessed by 500 people. And this has been handed on. And the, the, the whole idea of theological truth in the Christian tradition is, you know, this is where the role of tradition plays that the paradidomy, there's a handing on, there is a human to human transference, if you will, even the word transference is is a kind of machine metaphor for us to think about knowledge and truth which distorts things a little bit but there's mm-hmm. there's a handing over you know Jesus didn't just write a book and then leave 
he mm. wrote nothing but his apostles and disciples who were witnesses who had life on life interactions with him uh wrote down the things they saw and then communicated that to to the people who were disciples of the church and they communicated and there's a kind of transmission of the faith from person to person life on life and so that authority and this is the messiness of church authority mm -hmm. of truth and knowledge is always embedded and embodied within this living community across time and 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 so like there's a kind of of reification of theological truth in a machine age which says well the ai could spit out what i need to know and then i could transfer it and give it to other people but again i mean this this is a you know like this is a sort of gnostic understanding of how truth changes and transforms us mm. um mm. And, and and so like yeah i mean i well, what is truth what is zeros <laughs> information or as the lord says it, throughout the old testament it's like wisdom and knowledge at the foundations of the world that there's something that is in god that we call wisdom and knowledge that is not reducible to information and ones and zeros it's mm. it's you know it transcends that and and christian truth participates in this reality wow that's that's great i really appreciate that that's that's a very thought provoking uh thought provoking insight we're going to take just a quick break and listen to uh a word from bethel seminary and then we'll be back in just a minute with uh with chris gansky our world is in desperate need of spiritual leadership. Men and women who will sing along with the Apostle Paul and saying, Follow me as I follow Christ. For over 150 years, Bethel Seminary has been equipping whole and holy leaders to advance the gospel from a biblically sound foundation. That's why we've launched Seminary for Everyone. Online courses that are available throughout the year on a variety of topics, whether you're motivated to study for credit or simply for curiosity. For those who sense a call to vocational ministry, we have seven degree programs at the master's or doctoral level. All of these programs are designed to equip you not only with a strong theological foundation, but personal character and leadership development as well. At Bethel, we care about who you are and who you are becoming. Both online and in person, we cultivate environments with a strong sense of purpose and belonging. You will feel empowered both by your fellow students and by faculty who care about you and who God is calling you to be. You belong at Bethel Seminary. You belong at Bethel Seminary. You belong at Bethel Seminary, where you will become equipped for your part in God's mission. Okay, we're back with Chris Gansky talking about AI. And uh, Chris, I really appreciate what you were just saying about the, the nature of of wisdom and truth and and it's not reducible just to to information and i i need to think about that some myself because i think that's to me just my initial response is that really is kind of the the crux of our age isn't it i mean the we talk about the information age or this sort of thing and it's just it's yeah, like everything right. is reducible simply to to information and and so we hear about you know, misinformation and disinformation and all this sort of thing. Um, we don't talk about truth in the same in the same way, or at least from a biblical perspective. So that's that's really um, really helpful. Really, really a thought provoking thing. Um, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and ask 
what as as you think about you know many of our listeners are pastors and and they're you know wrestling with some of these things folks in their congregations maybe are asking questions about about these things what would be one of the you know if you if, if they were asking you what are the, what are the things i need to know about ai we've talked about a lot of you know the threats and opportunities and that sort of thing but but is there other things that you would say you know you really got to keep this in mind as you're as you're wrestling with this as you're thinking about this and and in particular as you're leading your congregation who are perhaps more and more being exposed to to this and using it in a workplace or or other other places um what would you kind of what would be the the top bits of advice or or things that you really want folks to know. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to what I said at, at the beginning of the first episode, is just to try to, and in many ways, I think as Christians, we are kind of behind the game <laughs> uh, in terms of critical self-reflection on our uses of technology and the ways in which we have sort of unwittingly embraced and accepted technologies Um and they've sort of reformed and reshaped the way we experience the world and think about the world without us realizing it. And I think, you know, so much within traditional evangelical culture in America, you know, we talk about worldviews and and we're very we're on alert of like dangerous ideas and, and things like that and changes from, <laughs> you know, uh, generation to generation. <laughs> and, and, and those are real. I mean, I, I think ideas really affect. But I mean, what we're not aware of enough is the way in which ideas actually come to us and reshape us in in more kind of material ways. Mm. But, and by that, I mean that in, in most people who work in technology understand this. I think common sense wise, we realize this if we step back and think is that the, our adoption of smartphones back in the mm. early 2010s uh, mm. universally um, has fundamentally reshaped our experience of the world. Mm-hmm. Um and it's so there is no neutral technology. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like, it's just how you use it, right? <laughs> it's it's value free. It's just how you use it. Well, not exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, technologies can be put to many different uses. But I think what I would want to challenge pastors and, and leaders is, is, are you, I mean, being thoughtful and self-reflective on the ways and certain embraces of technology in your life personally, but also in the life of the church, how it changes your experience of the church. I mean, let me, I don't want to get on a high horse here related to this, but virtual church, mm-hmm. if I could just make a few reflections here. Sure. Um, you know, I was happy that we had that option during the pandemic when we were forced to shut down and mm-hmm. we could still kind of stay connected. But the idea that virtual church can be an a, a viable substitute for embodied mm-hmm. church, I think is a mistake. It's like mm-hmm. it's like thinking that a virtual marriage could work and be mm-hmm. healthy and flourish, right? Like you could, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a long distance relationship, you know, talk on the phone and FaceTime and all that. But like, why would you? Why would you not want to be? I mean, because the, the mystery and beauty and, and deep pleasure of marriage is embodied connection. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with life and faith. And so like, you know, virtual streaming options was a great sort of stand-in, but it can no way be a substitute. But I think that there's a lot of times that we think, oh, we can we can sort of maximize or we can reach more people and all this, but well, at what cost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what we're losing. And so I guess part of where to 
to start thinking wisely about technology, uh, AI is just to even go further back. And well, are there ways that we have embraced forms of technological use that have really diminished our our humanity and, and our ability to be the church? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one, you know, one, one big thing. Mm-hmm. I could add more. You, <laughs> yeah. You. I, I want to ask a follow-up question because you mentioned, I can't remember if it was earlier in this episode or in the first episode, but you talked about those kind of disruptive technologies. And this is a, you know, you brought it up a second time. You mentioned smartphones. What else are you thinking of that, that you think are technologies that kind of disrupt our, our ability to, to really be the church? Um, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think, I think an over-reliance on social media as a form of connection. Again, I, I think social media functions the healthiest when it's sort of supporting in-person real communities rather than being a substitute for them mm-hmm. or a kind of over-reliance on a kind of, I, one way is is a kind of the allure of, of, of uh, like platform and influence by, you know, you know, if we have satellite churches or we stream or we, we can go bigger and bigger. But I think what you don't realize is like the bigger you go, in terms of your platform and influence as a pastor, preacher, or as a as a as a community, the thinner your your influence becomes over the people that are participating in your community or your mm-hmm. severe of influence. So the more mm-hmm. influence you have, the less local impact you have actual on everyday lives. But mm-hmm. the more local, in particular you know, the, the deeper the impact, right? And so the allure, and one of the ways that technology has disrupted the life of the church is we've been focused on a kind of technique thinking about church, where we think mm. about, you know, you know, growing big, in, uh, increasing our impact or influence and all these different things. And, and uh, what we don't realize is that we have sort of surrendered ourselves to kind of technique thinking, Jacques Ellul in his book, The Technological Society, you know, kind of calls tech, you know, technique. He he thinks is definitive of the modern age of the technological society. He he defines it not that this is a summary of him, but it's sort of the 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 optimization of all of life for maximum efficiency. Mm. I mean, this is somebody else's summary of Ellul, but it's the optimization of all of life for maximum efficiency, in which I think this way of thinking gets in, into the church and we're always thinking bigger, stronger, faster. And, and, and actually when you look at how human beings grow and how they transform and, and how they love, none of those are the categories in which it happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and again, it's, it's all part of our particip- participation in this technological age. Chris, I'm, I'm mindful of the time. And once again, an episode seems to have flown by in, in all sorts yeah. of ways. I could, could go on forever here. This, this is just great. But I want to make sure that I ask this. Uh, are there resources that you found helpful in thinking about AI and the and the church? What are the, what are the must-read or must-watch resources uh, that our listeners can check out to, to be able to think about these issues carefully and deeply? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I would say three things come to mind in particular. Um, Andy Crouch's recent book, The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological Age, is is really fantastic. It's very um, very readable, very deep though, very insightful, and it's it's very positive. Hmm. Um, it's really not explicitly about technology, but that's 
I mean, I just think his a great deal of wisdom in diagnosing, and he really, he really presents a positive vision of what life we're looking for, and 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 observes the different ways that our life in a technological age subverts and undermines that. So that would be the first place I would go um, for pastors and for lay people. Um, at a at a deeper level, um, the other book that I would recommend for pastors and and sort of is uh, Craig Gay has a book on technology called uh, Modern Technology in the Human Future, a Christian appraisal. And, you know, there's a lot of wonderful books there, but, um, you know, he he does a good job of synthesizing and drawing together, I think, the past 50 years of conversation, of philosophical conversations on technology. And he's really bringing Christian questions, theological questions to bear on it. And it's a really nice um uh, gets you thinking really deeply into mm. into the the bigger questions. Those would be the two in particular. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff out there, but sure. Yeah. That's where I'd, I'd ask for people. Great. Well, we'll make sure that those um those resources will we'll put them in the show notes so that folks can ex, uh access them yeah. easily and uh and that's so we'll make sure that's there. Uh, Chris, is there anything else that you want to make sure you leave our listeners with as you think about this yeah. conversation over yeah, the last two episodes? Yeah, yeah, and and permit me a few a few minutes. I'll I'll try not to go too sure. long here, but one, don't freak out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but you know, practice Sabbath. I, I I think that so Walter Brueggemann has a wonderful little book on Sabbath called Sabbath as Resistance. And although he doesn't have a chapter in there on technology, you could write one on technology. Mm. And I think that Sabbath, you know, if you think about Sabbath, was really symbolic for the whole life of worship of ancient Israel. And when, whenever the nation was going sort of down the tubes in terms of idolatry, there was always like this critique of abandoning his, God's Sabbaths. Because mm. to have a Sabbath humanity is to have a God-centered humanity. And, and Sabbath keeping and practice is really about boundary keeping. And it's about understanding what does it mean for me to be a creature and to embrace that where I say, I'm going to stop working and I'm going to relate to the world differently. And, and it's, you know, again, I, there's so much to say here on this point, but I think it's a really important one for people because it offers not only some practical guidelines, which is, you know what, sometimes you just need to turn your devices off and get away from them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just need to step back and, and to, um, to be away, right? Um, but there, but Sabbath is such an important um, category to have in our minds because you know when God creates, you know He creates in six days and it says on the seventh day He rested, and in in Deuteronomy or Exodus rather it says and He was refreshed. Mm -hmm. And it's it's curious because you think, well, God doesn't lack power; He doesn't lack <laughs> energy. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not like He needed rest like we need rest because we're running yeah. out of juice. But he, but God's resting in the context of creation is him being related to creation in a different way than simply as working. And, and, and so he, in that language of resting in Genesis, really has this imagery of like he's created this cosmic temple and now he rests, he dwells, because the, the word there is, is kind of dwelling in a temple. He is related to his creation in a different kind of way than when he was in work mode. And I think this is so important. I tell my people all the time, it's like, listen, you need Sabbath. And that doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have to have all the legalistic trappings and things like that. But the principle is so important because Sabbath is a time for love. Mm -hmm. Sabbath 
is a time for friendship. Sabbath is a time in which we are with one, one another, not just in consumer or work relation, relationships. We're with each other in a different kind of way. And you need that. See, the problem with a machine is that when you turn a machine off, it's almost as if the machine doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. so often we're, we kind of let ourselves become like machines. And we think mm. if I stop working, if I turn the off button on, I have no meaning, I have no purpose. But mm. actually, you only find your true meaning and purpose on the Sabbath, which mm. is related fundamentally to God and to neighbor and relationship of love. And so develop a Sabbath imagination as a way to sort of push back on technology sort of overtaking you with its sort of dominance of efficiency and constant busyness and activity. So that that's that's what I say. Practice Sabbath. Learn learn what that what Sabbath practice means in the technological mm. age. Mm. Wow, that's great. That is powerful and and good advice. And maybe we'll have to do a whole episode just focused on Sabbath and and the importance of yeah. that. So great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being a part of this and the second uh, the second episode. But for both episodes, I'm just so appreciative of your thoughtfulness and sharing. Your insights with our listeners. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Yeah, my 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 pleasure. It's been a lot of fun, and I appreciate the invitation. Well, and I want to thank all our listeners for listening to Whole and Holy. This is a, a production of Bethel Seminary, and we're delighted that you have listened to this episode of Whole and Holy. If you have suggestions for future episodes or you have feedback on our episodes, please feel free to email us at whole and dash holy at bethel.edu. Once again, that's whole-and-holy at bethel.edu. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.